Law and Sport podcast. Yes, I know what you're thinking. I am not Sean Cottrell, the founder and CEO of Law and Sport. My name is actually Gabriella Lowe, and I usually work behind the scenes of the Law and Sport podcast, but today I will be your host. Today is a very special episode. It is the 100th episode, and it has also been 10 years since Law and Sport was created. So we decided to do something a little bit different. So today we've decided to turn the tables on Sean and talk to him about Law and Sport's journey over the last 10 years. But before we get into how Law and Sport was established, we thought we should run through some key highlights to explain how Law and Sport has become the number one sports law platform across the world and also the largest network and community of sports lawyers and people with an interest in legal issues in sport globally. Sean, how are you doing? Good, thank you, Gabriella. Thanks for the intro. Do you want to talk to us about law and sports highlights over the last 10 years, about how far you've come, anything that comes to mind when you think about the last 10 years? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to. Um, first of all, it feels a bit weird to be on this side <laughs> of a podcast. Normally, I'm the one asking the questions, but um, no, one, it's really great and, and you know, incredibly exciting to get to the 100th podcast. It's pretty cool. We didn't really know what to do, so this is just sort of trying something new out for us. Um, and if it was a bit uncomfortable, but what I'll do is uh, I think highlight some of the, I guess, key points. And the, and the problem is we do, a, we've done a lot over the last 10 years and I feel like, you know, there's a risk of, if I start to cover off certain areas that I either miss someone out or miss an organization out or, um, you know, miss some people. But the key, the key point is that, that I do want to highlight before I get into some sort of interesting numbers is that law and sport literally only works because of our community. They are people on our editorial board. They are our authors. They are you, the listeners, the readers. And I truly mean that, you know, we don't actually, I joke around about this, our annual conferences that we don't really have any, that many good ideas ourselves, but it's all the people who engage with us and help us create um, a knowledge hub that is useful and practically focused for the sports law community that means that we've got any uh, credibility and traction and goodwill that we've got in the market so firstly thanks everyone for tuning in thanks for your support thank you to all those great people who work tirelessly and there's lots of them uh, behind the scenes to help law and sport uh, run uh, including yourself Gabriella but obviously all all our colleagues Um, so to start off with then I guess the really cool fact is that we're nearly at 100,000 plays for the podcast or listens however you want to phrase it for the podcast which is pretty cool i think um yeah obviously some people haven't got anything better to do with their time um <laughs> uh we've published 2000 over 2000 peer-reviewed articles by over 800 authors from 60 countries we've we now have something ridiculous like over 200 hours of video content from all of the events that we've we've done which is great if you're like me a sports store geek um which has led us to 2 million readers from over 200 countries and 7 million page views. We've got over 100 members of our editorial board and advisory board who I just want to give a huge thank you to because, as I said, these guys are world-leading experts in their fields and they give up their time freely and give up a lot of their time because they're interested in the topics they want to help share their knowledge and information and help keep the quality of law and sport to the highest standard uh, that we're known for. And I can't say thank you enough to them. Obviously, of course, if it wasn't for the 800 authors who have written for us, we wouldn't have any content. So thank thank you for all those people who have engaged with our processes or are patient 
and done that. Um, we've now had over 2,000 people attend our events. We have over 500 speakers for across 50 events. That's conferences, webinars, workshops, networking events. We do a lot of different things, some of which some of you may not know about. Um, a cool project we started two years ago. We've now had over 70, I think it's a sort of 76 actually mentees across our mentoring scheme for the last two years. We're just about to announce a, the, the next wave of mentees, which is really cool. And thanks to all the mentors. We have, I think, just around 30 mentors who work with our mentees. So thank you to all of those guys as well. And of course, that's led us to have a huge membership base. So we have 27,000 members across all of our membership plans. That's our, our standard, which is a free to access account. That's our plus accounts, our corporate membership accounts, which include sports federations, international sports federations, governing bodies, clubs, law firms, barrister chambers, and uh, the leading sports law academic institutions. We've had the pleasure of working with many organizations such as the Soccer X, the Sports Lawyers Association in the United States of America, Sports Law and Policy Center run by Michele Colucci. Uh, the ASA Institute, the British Association for Sport and Law, the Australian New Zealand Sports Law Association, and many other organisations. And I apologise if we haven't mentioned you. And a lot of people don't realise, maybe, is that we've um, helped recruit for now 150 positions from sports organisations such as the likes of the IOC, FIFA, the British Horse Racing Authority, World Rugby, Chelsea Football Club, BT Sport, IMG, Mercedes Formula One team, and many of the top sports law firms across the world whether it's in switzerland or in the uk and other parts of europe so um yeah it's been been a whenever we look back and go through those numbers uh it, it's quite exciting and something you know you know very proud of yeah it's it's clear whenever you put it into the stats like that like how far law and sport has actually come over the last 10 years i also think it's really helpful that not all of our listeners will have realized everything that law and sport does but when you put it in a context like that it's a bit easier to understand. Yeah, because it's more complex. It's, it's difficult because one of the things we, you know, some of the people on our editorial board and advisory board and other friends and colleagues will say that we don't shout enough about the things that we do. And sometimes it's because we get too into the legal issues, I guess, which is one of the reasons why I hope people like the podcast and why they like Laurie and Sport is that we spend a lot of time and energy to understand what's going on and try to produce that what we could sort of put on point uh content that's, that's helpful to people um and maintain that quality but sometimes we just don't tell people what we're doing <laughs> you know we just forget we just crack on and do it and so it's probably good to, to sort of highlight this what better time than lawn sports 10th birthday yeah 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 it's crazy i don't even know you blink and you miss it and it's been 10 years and you know we've spoke about this but it doesn't even feel like we've really started in terms of what we're doing uh at this moment in time we've achieved a lot but I think we've got so much more to do. Um, and as we can see from all the issues that are taking place across the world, there's a lot of uh, issues to address um, and to help and support the, you know, the sports community, sports organisation, athletes, and the, of, of course, the lawyers working in the sports sector um, to make it better for us all. Yeah, oh, I think that's part of your modest personality, though, saying that we haven't even started yet, but yet saying all those stats, it's quite clear that law and sport is taken off. Um, right now that the tables are turned I'm going to start firing some questions at you for a change so I hope you're sitting comfortable so why did you first set up Law and Sport? Um, I've got a long answer and a short answer um, so I'm going to try and go for the, the shorter answer um, essentially uh, I left school at the age of 16 and 
I thought I wanted to become an accountant. I didn't. Um, that turns out I didn't like that. But I worked for law firms. I had the pleasure of working for some of the top world's top law firms in in either uh, you know, really junior roles in the accounts department through to credit control, revenue control, and then later into business development. Um, but at age 23, I went to university to study sports science because that's what I enjoyed. Um, uh, a backdrop is that um, I'm... Uh, quite dyslexic and so um for those of you who don't familiar familiar with what that means it just means uh i can basically you know, how it impacts me i can miss words which is quite important when you when you're dealing with legal issues but i can miss words um i can type uh and make loads of grammatical errors and spelling errors anyway and in terms of uh reading ability it means i'm i can be defined as a slow reader but i've built techniques to to work on that um so having access and being reignited in terms of an interest in education because i thought education was i come from a, what they call like a lower socioeconomic background and all i cared about was getting my education so i could start a job when i was younger that's my, my primary objective was start a job earn money and as i matured i realized that education was more than that is about enriching yourself increasing your knowledge and awareness at the same time obviously we had the the uh, the technological revolution and the internet came about and so suddenly you could access all this information and so your you, you know your horizons broadened so i went to university i knew i didn't want to get into um uh, sports science really in terms of a career but i just knew that was a you know, something i was interested in but i didn't i had a sort of deep interest from a young age to try and do something that would ha- help a lot of people i don't know why um truly i don't um but i just something to do with i think my dad was a policeman i think that has something to do with it but having people to have an access to justice and dealing with issues of inequality was something that bothered me from a young age um and so when i went to university i carried on i carried on working at law firms and i got involved with really interesting projects um and i thought hey you know if actually if i could one of them was you know i got quite deep into some some legal issues around people protecting their wealth uh um should they pass away and could they you know leave that in terms of inheritance to their family members and that sparked an interest in law and i thought actually you know maybe i should study law maybe i've, I've missed this thing and maybe that would give me the influence that I, that I would like to have and maybe i could have a positive influence on the world simultaneously i got involved in a whole bunch of different areas but including student development uh quality assurance in terms of education i sat on the quality assurance committee at the university of essex and so education was something and being dyslexic was something that i was really passionate about how can you make information really clear to read to read how can you make it accessible fast forward i left university i worked carried on working law firms the economy took a nosedive because of the subprime situation i didn't know what to do i started doing a, a lord conversion they call it which is like a law degree part-time whilst working at law firms and i thought what can i match the two i ended up eventually finding couldn't find much information online eventually found the british association for sport and law i went to an event which was the inaugural uh edward grayson memorial lecture um and i met a guy called alfonso varello um who was building a website or an english version of a spanish website called iu sport which is still going today which is a great resource the sports law news it was a news focused website i decided and i asked him if i could help him out and i'd done some web development building websites to help international students get visas into the uk didn't didn't do it well but i tried to do it and um 
yeah, started to help him just just basically aggregate, send him news clippings. If I found anything that was interesting on the news, just say, hey, this is what I've I've read. Um, and then I kind of you know, I was interested in entrepreneurship and other things, and I looked at I basically did a SWOT analysis of the sport what I consider to be the the sports law market or lawyers writing on legal issues in sport. And I found that there was basically you had on the one hand you had news content, which was what I would call pithy content, short content, not necessarily that valuable. And then on the other side, you had academic legal journals where people would write them, but they would be very lengthy. People wouldn't necessarily have time to review them. They could take a long time to review, so they could be outdated by the time that they were actually published. And the bigger point was often the people were writing them for who weren't academics, but literally from the practitioner's perspective, they weren't very practically focused and they weren't very... Um, uh, accessible, right? So it didn't actually achieve the objective of the people writing them. So I did this SWOT analysis and said, well, hey, how, why don't we take the best things from education to make content really easy to read, structure it well, have the, you know, uh, take the best things from uh, academia, the peer review process, referencing, which is something, you know, many people will see on my Twitter and everything else that we're, we're really hot on. And something that's, that's a sort of a pet passion of mine is like ensuring that people reference correctly. Um, yeah. And then we kind of went, oh, that's really cool. Why don't we, you know, me and Alfonso, I sort of presented that to Alfonso and said, hey, why don't we do a website that's not a news website, like the, you know, but one that actually produces equivalent of academic type content, but in a really digestible way. And that's, and then that's what we sort of, you know, started to brainstorm out. And then in 2010, we launched Law and Sport. Wow. So that's quite cool to know where law and sports values come from about making it accessible to everyone and, and all that type of stuff. Well, actually on this, on this, sorry, on that point, one of the things that, that is interesting, I think maybe for people to, to realize is that when we started law and sport, one of the things that we recognize is, and, and, you know, and I still do, and I think it's important to sort of pay homage to the people who, who allowed us to do it. And so there were many other publications at the time and still are, and many other people who, whether it's the British Association for Sport and Law or whether it was you know, the Sports Law Association in America or Ansler in, in Australia and New Zealand, there's many other people who had been pioneering or Michele Colucci with the Sports and Policy Centre, many other people who had been trying to build momentum around sports law. And so we acknowledged that at the time. So look, we're not trying to compete with anyone. We're trying to work collaboratively and do something that no one else is doing. Um, at the same time, one of the things that bothers me in academia and law is what I would call the sort of unjustifiable overweighting of experience over quality. And so what I mean by that is in academia and in law, you can progress through the ranks essentially just because of length of service, where in every other profession now, it's widely acknowledged that length of service does in itself, if it's over, you know, if you're overweighting it in itself, doesn't equal that doesn't mean you're going to have a, a quality output, basically. So like I always joke around and say, you know, I, boxing was my sport. Basketball was one of my other sports. I played football, rugby. In theory, for the amount of time I spent doing it, and I could have been a world-class performer, right? But obviously I, I wasn't because I didn't have the right ability. Um, because of that hierarchical model in academia and law, sometimes you lose perspectives, a diversity of thought, you lose opportunity for some of the younger, and particularly when we were starting out, you know, you couldn't get trainee lawyers writing content. You couldn't get students really writing content to be published by a platform like Law and Sport because it was basically you had to have 10 years experience before anyone would listen to you. 
and we found that to be problematic for a whole bunch of different reasons um so we wanted to that to, to address that issue make sure we acknowledged everyone who is uh, you know, in the market work collaboratively with everyone so we had our own purpose our own objectives not to try to compete with everyone else and then the other thing was the most important one i would say and i think it's been pivotal to our success is treating everyone with respect you know, one of the things that we always come back to is like treating everyone with respect, whether or not you like us, <laughs> you know, or you like Gloria in sport or you're being critical of our content. You know, we should be treat everyone with respect and listen to everyone. Right. And that that's something I like to think that we've has been embedded in our DNA. I can imagine it was quite difficult to get people to listen and understand these values when you started law and sport. Um, do you want to talk to us a bit about the early days and the difficulties you faced back then? Um, yeah, well, one, I wasn't a lawyer. So I used to go to events. Some people were really lovely and would talk to me. Many people would just ignore me. <laughs> right? But there was people like Michelle Verroken, who I always shout out, who was so nice to me at my second uh, uh, Basel, which is a bit associated for sport and law event. And she basically introduced me to a whole bunch of people. I felt super awkward, but she was just lovely. Um, so that was one issue, though, because people thought, you know, who are you? You don't really know what you're talking about, what you're doing. Um, there was, you know, I was inspired by open source technology. And so our platform is built on, on Joomla, which is in, you know, like Web, you've got WordPress, Joomla, Drupal. It's a content management system. And being part of that community has always been something where you get world leaders basically talking to each other, helping each other. Um, you can get people who don't know, like me, who didn't know how to build a website, go there and you go to different groups and get all this advice. And that was something that I felt that was missing in, in, in the actual community, that, that it was a very exclusive rather than inclusive model. So that was a real challenge. How did you break through? I couldn't afford to go to any events, really. And so, um, you know, that was a problem as well. Like, how do you deal with, you know, get how do you get yourself to an event that costs a thousand pounds and yet you're, you just spent like, most of your money doing your law conversion. Uh, so that was a challenge. Um, being taken seriously and also, and I think this is a, a problem. You can say to people, we're going to do this. And there's, uh, you know, I always remember, and I don't think you mind me saying this, but Adam Liedekramer, who's now a partner on Side Law, he was uh, doing his uh, British Association for Sport and Law and the Montford University postgraduate certificate. And we went to watch, uh, I think it was Fulham play in the Europa League. That's how long ago it was. And um, um, and we were going down to the pub and he always remembers me saying to him, oh, we're doing this thing called Law and Sport. It's really cool. Uh, you know, and then years later, he said, like, I never thought we would get to where it's got now. I couldn't see it. And I think a lot of the challenge were in the early days is that people couldn't see what you were doing because a lot of people, I think, uh, had come and gone and said, we're going to do a publication, we're going to do this. And we were saying we were going to do something in a very ethical way and in a way. And I think it, it took a while for people to to really understand that that's what our intentions were as opposed to just doing it to get a database that we could then sell or doing it so we could get a job. And don't be wrong, part of the early days with myself and Alfonso was about profile raising you know, and getting a network. Absolutely. You can't pretend it was that wasn't part of the motivation, but there was just something really, I think, I think you know, the one thing that I'm blessed with is I love talking to people, as people can probably tell. That's one of my, I love, uh, um, but I am genuinely quite inquisitive. And so I asked lots of questions and I think people almost is in terms of, um, <laughs> yeah, I guess there's an innocence in it that, that people, some people find quite nice. Some would say, some would say the perfect podcast host. <laughs> I don't, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. Um, 
yeah, got a long way to go from being a perfect podcast host. But I just think there was something that people quite uh, that recognized that if you, and I like to think for our members on our editor, again, the reasons why our people who have been on our editorial board and advisory board or authors have written for us is that they, you know, they recognize that we've got a genuine interest in the areas and the reason why we work so many different organizations. Um, but also the other thing I should mention, sorry, one thing I forgot to mention is that at the start, you know, people used to say, what's your revenue model? Right, they didn't trust the revenue model because the one thing that we said set clearly from the start is that if you're interested in the social dilemma uh, issue that's going on at the moment, I was interested in it, sort of entrepreneurship and those type of issues, and I've always found it problematic this this over reliance on advertising revenue. I always felt that that was a how could you have independence of um, true independence in terms of the content you're writing and not be uh, feel pressured not to cover particular issues or treat them in a way that you should do in a thorough way that you could be persuaded not to, because imagine you're getting X amounts of money from a sports organization. Let's say, for example, an integrity provider or a law firm or whoever it is, and they're paying you thousands, thousands of pounds to advertise and something comes up on a matter that either affects them or affects their client. Are you really going to cover it? effectively and when i did the market analysis i always felt that there was a um whether it was a real or perceived i felt there was a compromise in terms of how people approach the content you know that they, they had a certain view and uh, for us it was important to try to you know remain independent and that was a real challenge early doors but yeah getting credibility was definitely the hardest thing but over over a period of time if you read enough cases if you read all the regulations if you can ask pertinent questions if you can invest enough time getting to know people and they can, and you know, and you don't take advantage of the relationships that you've built, then eventually if you're trying to do something that's, that actually provides quality uh, or value, I should say rather than quality provides value for a, a group of people or individuals, then that will gain you the respect, whether it's on an individual basis or on a, uh, and trust on a, on a corporate basis. And I think that's what we did. So you've went from setting up a website whilst trying to do your law degree and networking with other lawyers to having a website that has over 2 million viewers. Was there any challenges in growing the website to that that size? <laughs> yeah, one one was time, right? So imagine you're doing, you know, weekends and uh, you know, studying law um, and uh yeah you, you're not very technically capable of building a website um it can be incredibly time consuming when you're going what what is html <laughs> you, know, you don't really understand you know, you've got a problem with either you know what css the so how website styled or a database issue or something like and you're going i've got no idea and that, that those type of issues can kill your time and if you don't have much time that can be exhausting um so managing energy levels was was um a real challenge but the you know, and I should say, you know, Alfonso later, you know, didn't didn't when I, when I started law and sport, I call it properly, as as in it's what people conceive it to be now. Alfonso at that point had developed a career as an academic and and decided to to go full time. He needed to to he went to Nottingham Law School as a professor and needed to I was that lecturer, sorry, and then um, he needed to spend time on that. And so that's when I took the, the to say the full reins of law and sport. At uh, that point, that that yeah, that was a challenge. Um, I didn't think it was going to 
be as popular as it was. So we kind of put it up thinking that not, not many people would be that interested in it. And then it got quite popular relatively quickly. And that was a problem because um, as well, if, you know, if you're not full time, but you're trying to portray an image that you're, you've, you know, that as a professional outfit, that means you've got to respond to people in a timely manner. You have to, you know, do all the things that people would expect of a, of a professional organization. And so that was a real challenge, you know, that was like, you know, in your coffee breaks, responding to emails, reviewing articles in lunchtime and in the evening on the train home or whatever needs to be done. It just had to be done, but it was such a joy to be honest with you. It wasn't having motivation and energy was, you know, was not a problem. So that was, that was a, a real big issue to begin with. And then also not knowing what you don't know. And so you think that someone's written an article and you respect them. They could be a relatively senior lawyer and they write an article on a particular case or a particular piece of regulation. And you can take it as read almost that you think, oh, you, you, you would assume, sorry, that they would be absolutely on point about what they're writing about. But the problem is there's constraints of time with these people. There's also, you know, to, to what information is in the public domain. And those type of issues cause a big problem. <laughs> Hence why we've got an editorial board uh, on the recommendation uh, of, of a bunch of different people, but, um, you know, to make sure we could control the quality of content. And that was, I mean, incredibly time consuming. And, then, and you know, when you're starting out as well, if you're trying to tell someone who's much more senior than you, and much more experienced than you that they should <laughs> update an article. It'd be better if they could do this. That that refining those communication skills was uh, was 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 quite interesting. <laughs> so, lawn sport has come a long way over the last ten years. Uh, and as you mentioned in the introduction, we've set up the mentoring scheme. We've introduced a recruitment division. We also have our annual conferences. In your opinion. What are you most proud of about lawn sport? Well, there's a few things. One, bringing to, you know, I'll say this to you guys all the time, but obviously Chris came on board, um, you know, worked with great people like Kevin Carpenter, Manali, Karkani, uh, Jake Cohen, and other people who have supported or ever worked with lawn sport or supported lawn sport over the years in, in various means. But obviously Chris coming on board and then building a team of great people. It sounds very cliche to say, but I love the people that we work with, like as a team. So that's one thing, right? I get to work with people that, share the same values that that, that that I like to think that I have in terms of trying to like, you know, not, not to preach. It's not you know, far from being a perfect human being far, far, far from it, but we try to do our best in terms of helping people. And I think giving access to, and as part of that, having a team of people who buy into the fact that we prioritize trying to help people above some of the other stuff that we should be doing as a, as a, as a commercial organization, um, is, is really something I'm very proud of because building a, a good team of people is a challenge. Is like something I was not prepared for. Uh, I was probably still not prepared for. Still need to do a lot of work on that. But how to build a team, lead a team, um, is a real it, 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 to get to where we are is something I'm proud of. But more than anything, I'm proud of the fact that so many people have had access to information they otherwise wouldn't have had access to. That's the thing that that, that, that you know that drives us is that you know, and, and a lot of people don't realise law and sport was never meant to charge for content. We did it because of market forces. We never wanted to charge for our written content. But when we're looking at you know one adoption in terms of the organisations that would support us early doors, and when we first started law and sport, and um, how we were perceived in the market, we were perceived as being a higher quality publication when we started to charge for membership, even though we tried to price it at the most accessible price point for the for someone in one of the lower socioeconomic 
uh, areas of the world. We try to make it as, as you know, to bear in mind as well, when we did this market analysis, we got told by some massive publishers that we should charge 10 times more and produce 10 times less. It was, it was like, look, commercially, we're advising you. You're going the wrong way, basically. We love the fact that you've got this vision of like building a global community and you want to help as many people and have access to legal issues in sport, right? Great. And, you know, that was driven by something that I read in the, the Wolf report and about rule of law, which was like everyone should be able to understand the rules and regulations that govern their behavior. And I felt the legal profession hadn't done a great job of that. So but in order to do that, that's a difficult, difficult thing to do. Right. And not many people want to do that. Right. And loads of people just want, you know, the easier path is to go, right, let's make it exclusive. Let's get 100 people charged 10 times more than we charge and you make more money. But in order, you know, to have outcomes where law students will say, you know, and this is like things that are humbling when law students will say, hey, thanks for doing law in sport. Um, it helped us through my law degree, not not the sports law degree, not sports module, but for my law degree. Right. When I did an interview with Matthew Reeve at Cass. And funny enough, it was Alfonso who, who messaged me and said, Sean, you know your interview with Matthew Reeb on the podcast? Um, or was it on the podcast? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think we did the, the audio version of the podcast. Said that um, you know, the work, the, the, that interview was referenced in a leading arbitration textbook. Not a sports arbitration, an arbitration textbook. That's really cool. Right? When people say that they've managed to build relationships, meaningful relationships with other people in the network, right? you know, that have helped them in their careers, helped them personally. That's something that's, that's really uh, uh, something to be proud of. And the other thing is that we can now, now we've got the, you know, this position in the market, we can do really positive things, whether it's setting up different working groups, helping support various initiatives. You know, we, you know, advertise that. But one of the things that gives me joy, we advertise non-executive positions, committee positions, um, disciplinary committee positions for free for sports organizations. And that's really cool, right? We don't have to do that, but we do it because we can connect people, right? We can bring people who want to help with the people who need the help. And that that's a real joy. Um, the mentoring scheme is pretty cool as well. Like that's something to, I think to be proud of. But again, you know, working with, it sounds very cliched again, but working with great people is the, is, is, is the thing that gives me the most joy. And what I mean by that is you look at the speakers from our events and conferences, and I say it all the time, but they give up their time freely. We don't pay them to speak. We don't pay them to share their knowledge. They're already busy people. In order to build a platform in which encourages people to do that, you know, is 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 a joy. And, you know, the other thing is I like to think we've had a very positive influence in terms of both, you know, accessibility and diversity. I like to think, and we've got a long way to go, I might add, like a long, long way to go because, you know, we're working in two sectors that aren't particularly inclusive, <laughs> or at least not in terms of the not in terms of the, the 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 business or managerial and 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 senior senior levels in law and and in, and in sport. But you know that that is changing. I like to think we're part of that journey. Um, so all of that, yeah, that's all of that sort of stuff's cool. Or like, yeah. so you you mentioned that because of law and sports position in the market, it gives us an opportunity to do more than other platforms. What comes next for law and sport then well it's not yeah i should say that it's not like necessarily doing more than other platforms but it's just using our position so it's not really about what other people are or are not doing but it's using our position right because there are platforms and there are people doing loads of stuff and a lot of the things that you know that there was that got me early early on was that again it's the things you don't know it's the things you don't see and people just assume that just because they don't see it people aren't doing it 
and there are lots of great people like some of the hardest one of the things i found surprising in the sector some of the like <laughs> hardest litigators right or the hardest commercial negotiators were helping people giving up their time freely to give people career advice and when i found out from various people who had been given this advice from certain individuals i was shocked i was genuinely like what they they helped you oh yeah yeah they they you know they were picking up their kids and they gave me a call on the way there and that's something you know just because they don't sing and shout about it doesn't mean it doesn't happen and likewise there are loads of organizations doing loads of different things you know we're very i'm very proud of how we do things and that's all we can control i'm extremely proud of that and you know working with you know you know women in sports laws or you know organizations like that who are doing great things right and help people build networks and support you know that that's the other thing that we can do it's not just about what we can do it's like what can we do to help other organizations because in theory if we're like the sports the, the sports sector and sports law sector has got a long way to go to develop to be more professionalized and to operate in a more transparent and effective way and again there's loads of great people doing great things but we can all move forward in a more, much more um, I think organized, coordinated, and impactful way. In order to do that, we need to do a better job of what we do, but also we need to work with other people to help them do a better job in what they're doing and try and help them and support them on their way. Right. And that's just a challenge when we've got, you know, when everyone's good, hasn't got much time, <laughs> essentially. But so anyway, so I think, I think in terms of, you know, we just have to be mindful though when we're talking and just so as well for the listeners. That, that, that they can get an insight and hopefully this gives you an insight into our thinking in terms of how we do stuff you know we try to promote academic institutions stuff for free if they're doing uh, various events if we, you know as long as it's you know there's no commercial revenue there we try to we, we try to get the right balance i think between you know growing glory in sport and helping other people to to be more effective in what they do so what do you see in the future for law and sport what's what's next um doing everything that we do better <laughs> like, like, like um yeah we've got some uh we've got uh a new joiner starting you know, you know on editorial in a in a in a, in a month so that's really exciting in terms of being able to, being able to produce more more great content um doing a better job of bringing our community together you know we've got the world's largest community bar but by some margin but how do we actually get that community that you know and, and some are more of a community some are more of just a network uh, so, uh, how do we encourage that community to build relationships that are meaningful and i can always talk about these meaningful relationships and that doesn't mean you just have to be best friends but it's meaning it's about value exchange it's like do you need support do you need support as so you're trying to break into the market do you need to be on a mentoring scheme so you get to build contacts if you're a senior general counsel can we help you meet other senior general counsels or other leading lawyers to 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 help you address a, a challenge you may be facing as either an organisation or as you as an individual? What can we do better? And so, how we do that and bring value to our network is 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 what the the future holds for us. But we've got a new look website coming as well. That's going to be, I think, uh, a nice surprise for everyone. So improving that, you know, the, the user experience because we've got the biggest knowledge hub in sports law. Um, you know how can we help people get the most out of out of what we do already um you know and then yeah you know, what yeah do do loads of different things we've got loads of loads of things planned i don't want to go into like granular detail um but yeah do do things as well in a, in a sustainable way and i think over the 10 years the one thing that i was certainly guilty of is get letting the enthusiasm get the better of me and committing to do certain projects that um really didn't have time for and with all the goodwill in the world i really wanted to do them and i invested a lot of time in them but then you know they'd start to start right you, you know you 
do it for one, you know, a bit like the podcast, 100 episode, but it's taken, I think the first podcast was in 2012 or 2013. It's taken this long to get to 100 episodes because I'd do one minute, I'd do, you know, three episodes back to back in three weeks and then I'd leave it six months because I had to refocus on other things when, I, when we didn't have such a big team. So, um, yeah, but I'd love to do, yeah, yeah, more of what we do, but better and, you know, better engage and support our our members, whether they're individual members or the, the corporate members that we have as well. Because I think we got, you know, we're very, very, very fortunate and blessed to have, uh, to be in a position to work with so many great organizations, so many great people. It's, it's a case of, you know, not taking that for granted. Um, so, yeah, that, I think that, yeah, it's going to lead to a lot of exciting things over the course of next year. And everything we didn't even talk about, sorry, in the membership is that we give, you know, one of the real, one of the things I want to make sure that we do better is explain about our athlete membership to people because we give free membership to former current professional athletes, Olympians and Paralympians. Um, there is a certain level that we cap, cut it off at, but we've got like hundreds of members who get free access as athletes to law and sport can come to our events, can ask for help and support in terms of if they want to get into law uh, or just need to have a career advice or, you know, they, you know, we can help them network. And I think a lot of people don't know about that. So again, doing a better job of explaining that to people um, because I think if we can educate the athlete community, then uh, that will cause some, some some really positive changes, I think, in the sports sector. Cool. You mentioned the the new website there and I've got an exclusive for our readers, our listeners, that that is going to be next level. That's going to be very cool. Um, unfortunately, that's all we have time for. I hope that interview didn't make you too uncomfortable being on the other side. Yeah, I can get back to my day job now. Like uh, that was <laughs> flipping it back around. Yeah, that was strange, but good experience. I just wanted, I wanted to add, you've spent a lot of time thanking everyone that's helped you uh, along the way. But from me, everyone at Lawn Sport and our listeners, uh, we just want to thank you because if it wasn't for your hard work and dedication, we wouldn't even have Lawn Sport. So here's to the next 10 years. Uh, but, also, but it's not just, not just me. Like I said, I keep saying this though, but like Chris has been plowing away from like 2014 when he joined January 2014. And he's he's the type of guy, Chris Bond, he doesn't like profile. <laughs> not that I like it too much, but like he really, really doesn't like profile and he puts a lot of hard work in as, as does like John Cullen and... Um, now you and Marcos and Yammer and um, Ashok and everyone else and Manali before that who did all the and Amy of course Amy um, she'll kill me when she's listening to this um, who's like my second brain um, but there's lots of yeah again there's lots of the, the, it sounds very cliche not just saying it but it, law and sport literally only works because of all the other people it doesn't you know really don't come up with a great idea it's just probably just mad enthusiasm <laughs> that, 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 that drives things forward but it's really is you know when i say this when we do our events we probably speak to to do a conference we probably speak to sort of like 500 different people just to get the topics for the conference all the different conversations we have our editorial board the authors other people other experts you know it really is a community effort and i think um you know, Taku Yamazaki said something wonderful years ago, and this was one of my, sorry, I didn't, I should have said this, a proud moment where um, we went for a coffee. He's one of Japan's top sports lawyers. He's been on the podcast a bunch of times. And he said to me when we, when we first, one of our first meetings, he said, the reason why I like law and sport is because it's intimate. You can tell that there was care in terms of crafting what, what we do. And that's something that I think, um, that hopefully people can see in what we do that it comes across and i think we've only that only you can only get that type of response if we do take care to to acknowledge 
and appreciate all the efforts and contribution that everyone makes. So it's not just a it's not just a thing that I'm saying because it sounds really good and cliched. I mean, it really like we'd be screwed if <laughs> if, if it was just and it wouldn't be anywhere near as good. I can assure you, if it was just me doing stuff, um, nothing would get done. It'd be, it'd be lots of talking, but not much would get done, um, and it wouldn't be as uh, as as accurate and precise and helpful. So, but thank you for doing this, Gabriella. You know, feels really awkward, and hope everyone has enjoyed it. Something a bit different anyway for the hundred episode. I mean, but by the way, don't worry, we've got some great episodes that's coming like literally tomorrow <laughs> and a couple of days after um, with some great guests. We've got one. The next one's going to be. We might even come the same day because we need to get it out because it's quite timely. But on concussion in rugby the litigation going on there and then we have um alvaro from uh from espanol who's uh, uh in-house counsel espanol and he's gonna be talking about his journey his career which is amazing really great perspective lovely uh, well sadly that's all we have time um, for so for this show for that as well but, but thank you for tuning in for tuning in Thanks, now remember Gabriela. for all the latest legal developments and analysis and commentary of sports law issues around the world go to lawinsport.com follow us on soundcloud twitter itunes instagram all the platforms you can imagine and importantly if you like what we do if you're a fan of the show if you're a fan of law and sport if you like the community that we're trying to build and the work that we do please do tell people about it please do share it if you get knowledge from this that is useful to you in your work please do tell people word of mouth matters to us we don't do any pay for advertising. We literally rely on our reputation and hopefully it's a good one. <laughs> but joking aside, if you like what we do, we appreciate your support. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please do share it with people. And other than that, wherever you are, whatever time of day it is in the world, I hope you're having a wonderful day, wonderful evening. And thanks again for your support and for tuning in.